0: We know how many of you love the music on the Sleepy Bookshelf. Well, now you can listen to it on our sister podcast, Deep Sleep Sounds, while you sleep, work, study, or relax. Just follow the link in the show notes for Deep Sleep Sounds. Good evening, and welcome to the Sleepy Bookshelf where we put down our worries from the day and pick up a good book. I'm your host, Elizabeth. It's a pleasure to have you here with me. Tonight, we'll be continuing with White Nights. But first, let's take some time to relax. Take a deep breath in through your nose and out through your nose. When you breathe deeply, you physically calm your nervous system, which is one of the reasons why it helps you feel more peaceful. Keep breathing like this, deeply in and out through your nose, and focus your mind on these calming breaths. Notice how the air enters and leaves your body. Maybe how your chest and tummy rise and fall with each breath. If your mind starts to wander, gently guide it back to your breath. Try not to get frustrated. Inhale deeply once more, inviting in the positive and exhale out, releasing the negative. Now bring your attention to my voice as I recap our last episode. Last time, The narrator had been waiting two hours for the girl before she arrived. She told him her name was Nastenka, and she asked him to tell her his life story. He told her he was a dreamer, and went on to explain how he has struggled to differentiate between dream and reality of late. He spoke in third person of himself, being awkward, and shy when an acquaintance came to visit him unannounced he talked about the fantastic things he daydreamed about things he had read or seen he told her about a woman he loves in his fantasies but who he has never met he explained how he felt that he was spiralling into some sort of depression but that since meeting her his thoughts have lifted, and he owes that to her. Nastenka told him how she also considers herself a dreamer, that she lives alone with her grandmother, and after some wild behaviour, her grandmother sewed their skirts together and made her sit for long hours next to her in the house. Nastenka believes that they can be friends, and hopes they'll be able to offer each other advice. She promises to tell him her story. And that's where we pick up tonight. Anna Ratam eagerly awaiting Nastenka's story. So, just lie back and relax as I turn to the next pages of White Night. Stenker's history. Half my story, you know already. That is, you know that I have an old grandmother. If the other half is as brief as that, I interrupted, laughing. Be quiet and listen. First of all, you must agree not to interrupt me, or else perhaps I shall get in a muddle. Come. Listen quietly. I have an old grandmother. I came into her hands when I was quite a little girl, for my father and mother are dead. It must be supposed that grandmother was once richer, for she now recalls better days. She taught me French and then got a teacher for me. When I was 15, and now I am 17, we gave up having lessons. It was at that time that I got into mischief. What I did, I won't tell you. It's enough to say that it wasn't very important. But Grandmother called me to her one morning and said that as she was blind, she could not look after me. She took a pin and pinned my dress to hers and said that we should sit like that for the rest of our lives, if, of course, I did not become a better girl. In fact, at first, it was impossible to get away from her. I had to work, to read, to sew all beside my grandmother. I tried to deceive her once and persuaded Fiokla to sit in my place. Fiokla is our charwoman She's deaf. Fyokla sat there instead of me. Grandmother was asleep in her armchair at the time, and I went off to see a friend close by. Well, it ended up in trouble. Grandmother woke up while I was out and asked some questions. She thought I was still sitting quietly in my place. Fyokla saw that Grandmother was asking her something, but could not tell what it was. She wondered what to do, undid the pin and ran away. (laughs) At this point, Nastenka stopped and began laughing. I laughed with her. She left off at once. I tell you what, don't laugh at my grandmother. I laugh because it is funny. I mean, what can I do? Since grandmother is like that but yet I am fond of her in a way. Well, I did catch it that time. I had to sit down in my place at once, and after that I was not allowed to stir. Oh, I forgot to tell you that our house belongs to us. That is to Grandmother. It is a little wooden house with three windows, as old as Grandmother herself, with a little upper story. Well there moved into our upper story a new lodger. Then you had an old lodger, I observed casually. Yes, of course, answered Nastenka. And one who knew how to hold his tongue better than you do. In fact, he hardly ever used his tongue at all. He was a blind, lame, dried-up little old man so that at last he could not go on living. He died, so then we had to find a new lodger, for we could not live without a lodger. The rent, together with Grandmother's pension, is almost all we have. But the new lodger, as luck would have it, was a young man, a stranger not of these parts. As he did not haggle over the rent, Grandmother accepted him, and only afterwards, she asked me, tell me, Nstenka what is our lodger like? Is he young or old? I did not want to lie. So I told grandmother that he wasn't exactly young and that he wasn't old. And is he pleasant looking, asked grandmother. Again, I did not want to tell a lie. Yes, he is pleasant looking, grandmother, I said. And Grandmother said, Oh, what a nuisance. What a nuisance. I tell you this, Grandchild, that you may not be looking after him. What times these are. Why a poultry lodger like this. And he must be pleasant looking too. It was very different in the old days. Grandmother was always regretting the old days. She was younger in old days. And the sun was warmer in old days. And cream did not turn so sour in old days. It was always the old days. I would sit still and hold my tongue and think to myself, why did grandmother suggest it to me? Why did she ask whether the lodger was young and good-looking? But that was all. I just thought it. Began counting my stitches again. Went on knitting my stocking and forgot all about it. Well, one morning the lodger came in to see us. He asked about a promise to paper his rooms. One thing led to another. Grandmother was talkative, and she said, "Go, Nastenka, into my bedroom and bring me my reckoner." I jumped up at once. I blushed all over. I don't know why and I forgot I was sitting pinned to Grandmother. Instead of quietly undoing the pin so that the lodger should not see, I jumped so that Grandmother's chair moved. When I saw that the lodger knew all about me now, I blushed. I stood still as though I had been shot, and suddenly began to cry. I felt so ashamed and miserable at that minute I didn't know where to look. Grandmother called out, What are you waiting for? And I went on worse than ever. When the lodger saw, saw that I was ashamed on his account, he bowed and went away at once. After that, I felt ready to die at the least sound in the passage. It's the lodger, I kept thinking. I stealthily undid the pin in case, It always turned out not to be. He never came. A fortnight passed. The lodger sent word through Fiocla that he had a great number of French books and that they were all good books that I might read. So, would not grandmother like me to read them that I might not be dull? Grandmother agreed with gratitude but kept asking if they were moral books for if the books were immoral, it would be out of the question. One would learn evil from them. And what should I learn, grandmother? What is there written in them? Ah, she said. What's described in them is how young men seduce virtuous girls. How on the excuse that they want to marry them, they carry them off from their parents' houses. How afterwards, they leave these unhappy girls to their fate, and they perish in the most pitiful way. I read a great many books, said Grandmother, and it is all so well described that one sits up all night and reads them on the sly. So mind you don't read them, Nastenka, said she. What books has he sent? They are all Walter Scott's novels, Grandmother. Walter Scott's novels? But stay... Isn't there some trick about it? Look, hasn't he stuck a love letter among them? No, grandmother, I said. There isn't a love letter. Look under the binding. They sometimes stuff it under the bindings, the rascals. No, grandmother, there is nothing under the binding. Well, that's all right. So we began reading Walter Scott. And in a month or so, we had read almost half. Then he sent us more and more. He sent us Pushkin too, so that at last I could not get on without a book and left off dreaming of how fine it would be to marry a prince. That's how things were when I chanced one day to meet our lodger on the stairs. Grandmother had sent me to fetch something. He stopped. I blushed, and he blushed. He laughed, though said good morning to me, asked after Grandmother, and said, well, have you read the books? I answered that I had. Which did you like best, he asked. I said, Ivanhoe and Pushkin, best of all. And so our talk ended for that time. A week later, I met him again on the stairs. That time, Grandmother had not sent me. I wanted to get something for myself. It was past two, and the lodger used to come home at that time. "'Good afternoon,' said he. I said good afternoon, too. "'Aren't you dull?' he said, sitting all day with your Grandmother when he asked that, I blushed. I don't know why. I felt ashamed. And again, I felt offended. I suppose because other people had begun to ask me about that. I wanted to go away without answering, but I hadn't the strength. Listen, he said. You're a good girl. Excuse me speaking to you like that. I assure you that I wish for your welfare quite as much as your grandmother. Have you no friends that you could go and visit? I told him that I hadn't any, that I had no friend but Mashenka, and she had gone away to Piskov. Listen, he said, would you like to go to the theatre with me? To the theatre? What about Grandmother? We must go without your grandmother's knowing it, he said. No, I said. I don't want to deceive grandmother. Goodbye. Well, goodbye, he answered, and said nothing more. Only after dinner he came to see us, sat a long time talking to grandmother, asked her whether she ever went out anywhere, whether she had any acquaintances, and suddenly said, I have taken a box at the opera for this evening. They are giving the Barber of Seville. My friends meant to go, but afterwards refused, so the ticket is left on my hands. The Barber of Seville, cried Grandmother. Why, the same they used to act in the old days? Yes, it's the same Barber, he said, and glanced at me. I saw what it meant and turned crimson, and my heart began throbbing with suspense. Well, to be sure, I know it, said Grandmother. Why, I took the part of Rosina myself in the old days at a private performance. So, wouldn't you like to go today? said the lodger. Or my ticket will be wasted. By all means, let us go, said Grandmother. Why shouldn't we? And my Nstenka here has never been to the theatre. My goodness, what a joy. We got ready at once, put on our best clothes and set off. Though grandmother was blind, still she wanted to hear the music. Besides, she is a kind old soul. What she cared for most was to amuse me. We should never have gone of ourselves. What my impressions of the barber of Seville were, I won't tell you all that evening, our lodger looked at me so nicely, talked so nicely, that I saw at once that he had meant to test me in the morning, and he proposed I should go with him alone. Well, it was a joy. I went to bed so proud, so gay. My heart beat so that I was a little feverish, and all night I was raving about the Barber of Seville. I expected he would come and see us more and more often after that, but it wasn't so at all. He almost entirely gave up coming. He would just come in about once a month, and then only to invite us to the theatre. We went twice again. Only I wasn't at all pleased with that. I saw that he was simply sorry for me because I was so hardly treated by my grandmother, and that was all. As time went on, I grew more and more restless. I couldn't sit still. I couldn't read. I couldn't work. Sometimes I laughed and did something to annoy grandmother. At another time, I would cry. At last I grew thin and was very nearly ill. The opera season was over, and our lodger had quite given up coming to see us. Whenever we met, always on the same staircase of course, he would bow so silently, so gravely, as though he did not want to speak, and go down to the front door while I went on standing in the middle of the stairs as red as a cherry For all the blood rushed to my head at the sight of him. Now the end is near. Just a year ago, in May, the lodger came to us and said to Grandmother that he had finished his business here and that he must go back to Moscow for a year. When I heard that, I sank into a chair, half dead. Grandmother did not notice anything. And having informed us that he should be leaving us, he bowed and went away. What was I to do? I thought and thought and fretted and fretted. And at last I made up my mind. Next day he was to go away. And I made up my mind to end it all that evening when grandmother went to bed. And so it happened. I made up all my clothes in a parcel, all the linen I needed, and with the parcel in my hand, more dead than alive, went upstairs to our lodger. I believe I must have stayed an hour on the staircase. When I opened his door, he cried out as he looked at me. He thought I was a ghost, and rushed to give me some water, for I could hardly stand up. My heart beat so violently that my head ached, and I did not know what I was doing. When I recovered, I began laying my parcel on his bed, sat down beside it, hid my face in my hands, and went into floods of tears. I think he understood it all at once, and looked at me so sadly that my heart was torn. Listen, he began. Listen, Nastenka, I can't do anything. I am a poor man, for I have nothing, not even a decent birth. How could we live if I were to marry you? We talked for a long time, but at last I got quite frantic. I said I could not go on living with Grandmother, that I should run away from her, that I did not want to be pinned to her and that I would go to Moscow if he liked, because I could not live without him. Shame and pride and love were all clamoring in me at once, and I fell on the bed, almost in convulsions. I was so afraid of a refusal. He sat for some minutes in silence, then got up, came up to me, and took me by the hand. Listen, my dear, goodness Stenka. Listen, I swear to you that if I am ever in a position to marry, you shall make my happiness. I assure you that now you are the only one who could make me happy. Listen, I am going to Moscow and shall be there just a year. I hope to establish my position. When I come back, if you still love me, I swear that we will be happy. Now it is impossible. I am not able. I have not the right to promise anything. Well, I repeat, if it is not within a year, it will certainly be some time. That is, of course, if you do not prefer anyone else. For I cannot and dare not bind you by any sort of promise. That was what he said to me. Next day he went away. We agreed together not to say a word to Grandmother. That was his wish. Well, my history is nearly finished now. Just a year has passed. He has arrived. He's been here three days and... And and what? I asked, impatient to hear the end. And up to now, he has not shown himself answered Nastenka, as though screwing up all her courage. There is no sign or sound of him. Here she stopped, paused for a minute, bent her head and covering her face with her hands, broke into such sobs that it sent a pang to my heart to hear them. I had not in the least expected such a denouement. Nastenka, I began timidly, in an ingratiating voice. Nastenka, for goodness sake, don't cry. How do you know? Perhaps he is not here yet. He is. He is. Nastenka repeated. He is here, and I know it. We made an agreement at the time, that evening, before he went away, when we said all that I have told you and had come to an understanding. Then we came out here for a walk on this embankment. It was ten o'clock. We sat on this seat. I was not crying then. It was sweet to me to hear what he said. And he said that he would come to us directly he arrived. And if I did not refuse him, then we would tell Grandmother about it all. Now, here he is, I know it, and yet he does not come. And again, she burst into tears. Good God, can I do nothing to help your sorrow? I cried, jumping up from the seat in utter despair. Tell me, Nastanka, wouldn't it be possible for me to go to him? Would that be possible? She asked, suddenly raising her head. No, of course not, I said, pulling myself up. But I tell you what, write a letter. No, that's impossible, I can't do that, she answered with decision, bending her head and not looking at me. How impossible? Why is it impossible? I went on, clinging to my idea. But Nastenka, it depends on what sort of letter. There are letters, and letters, and… Oh, Nastenka, I'm right. Trust to me. Trust to me, I will not give you bad advice. It can all be arranged. You took the first step. Why not now? I can't. I can't. It would seem as though I were forcing myself on him. Oh, my good little Nastenka. I said, hardly able to conceal a smile. No, no, you have a right to, in fact, because he has made you a promise. Besides, I can see from everything that he is a man of delicate feeling, that he behaved very well. I went on, more and more carried away by the logic of my own arguments and convictions. How did he behave? He bound himself... By a promise. He said that if he married at all, he would marry no one but you. He gave you full liberty to refuse him at once. Under such circumstances, you may take the first step. You have the right. You were in the privileged position. If, for instance, you wanted to free him from his promise, listen, how would you write? Write what? This letter, tell you how I would write. Dear sir, must I really begin like that? Dear sir, you certainly must. Though, after all, I don't know, I, I imagine, well, well, what next? Dear sir, I must apologize for, but no, there's no need to apologize. The fact itself justifies everything. Write simply. I am writing to you. Forgive me my impatience, but I have been happy for a whole year in hope. Am I to blame for being unable to endure a day of doubt now? Now that you have come, perhaps you have changed your mind. If so, this letter is to tell you that I do not repine nor blame you. I do not blame you because I have no power over your heart such is my fate. You are an honorable man. You will not smile or be vexed at these impatient lines. Remember, they are written by a poor girl, that she is alone, that she has no one to direct her, no one to advise her, and that she herself could never control her heart. But forgive me that a doubt has stolen, if only for one instant, into my heart. You are not capable of insulting, even in thought, her who so loved, and so loves you. Yes. Yes, that's exactly what I was thinking, said Nastanka, and her eyes beamed with delight. Oh, you have solved my difficulties. God has sent you to me. Thank you. Thank you. What for? What for, for God sending me? I answered, looking delighted at her joyful little face. Why, yes, for that too. Nestenka, why one thanks some people for being alive at the same time with one? I thank you for having met me, for my being able to remember you all my life. Well, enough, enough. But now I tell you what. listen. We have made an agreement then that as soon as he arrived, he would let me know by leaving a letter with some good, simple people of my acquaintance who know nothing about it. Or if it were impossible to write a letter to me, for a letter does not always tell everything, he would be here at 10 o'clock on the day he arrived, where we had arranged to meet. I know he has arrived already, now it's the third day and there's no sign of him, and no letter. It's impossible for me to get away from Grandmother in the morning. Give my letter tomorrow to those kind people I spoke to you about. They will send it on to him, and if there is an answer, you bring it tomorrow at ten o'clock. But the letter… the letter… you see, you must write the letter first. So perhaps it must all be the day after tomorrow. The letter, said Nastenka, a little confused. The letter, but but she did not finish. At first she turned her little face away from me, flushed like a rose. And suddenly I felt in my hand a letter which had evidently been written long before ready and sealed up. Familiar, sweet, and charming reminiscence floated through my mind. Rosina, I began. Rosina, we both hummed together, I almost embracing her with delight, while she blushed as only she could blush, and laughed through tears which gleamed like pearls, on her black eyelashes. Come. Enough. Enough. Goodbye now, she said, speaking rapidly. Here is the letter. Here is the address which you are to take it. Goodbye. Till we meet again. Till tomorrow. She pressed both my hands warmly, nodded her head, and flew like an arrow down her side street. I stood still for a long time, following her with my eyes. Till tomorrow, till tomorrow was ringing in my ears as she vanished from sight. Third night. Today was a gloomy, rainy day without a glimmer of sunlight like the old age before me. I am oppressed by such strange thoughts, such gloomy sensations. Questions still so obscure to me are crowding into my brain, and I seem to have neither power nor will to settle them. It is not for me to settle all this. Today we shall not meet. Yesterday, When we said goodbye, the clouds began gathering over the sky, and a mist rose. I said that tomorrow it would be a bad day. She made no answer. She did not want to speak against her wishes, for her that day was bright and clear. Not one cloud should obscure her happiness. If it rains, we shall not see each other, she said. I shall not come. I thought that she would not notice today's rain. And yet, she has not come. Yesterday was our third interview. Our third white night. But how fine joy and happiness makes anyone. How brimming over with love the heart is. One seems longing to pour out one's whole heart. One wants everything to be gay. Everything to be laughing. And how infectious that joy is. There was such a softness in her words. Such a kindly feeling in her heart towards me yesterday. How solicitous and friendly she was. How tenderly she tried to give me courage. Oh, the coquetry of happiness. While I... I took it all for the genuine thing. I thought that she... But my God, how could I have thought it? How could I have been so blind when everything had been taken by another already? When nothing was mine? When, in fact, her very tenderness to me, her anxiety, her love, yes, love for me, was nothing else but joy at the thought of seeing another man so soon. Desire to include me too in her happiness. When he did not come, when we waited in vain, she frowned. She grew timid and discouraged. Her movements, her words were no longer light, so playful, so gay. And strange to say, she redoubled her attentiveness to me, as though instinctively desiring to lavish on me what she desired for herself so anxiously if her wishes were not accomplished. My Nastenka was so downcast, so dismayed, that I think she realized at last that I loved her and was sorry for my poor love. So when we are unhappy, we feel the unhappiness of others more Feeling is not destroyed, but concentrated. I went to meet her with a full heart and was all impatient. I had no presentiment that I should feel as I do now, that it would not all end happily. She was beaming with pleasure. She was expecting an answer. The answer was himself. He was to come to run at her call. She arrived a whole hour before I did. At first, she giggled at everything, laughed at every word I said. I began talking, but relapsed into silence. Do you know why I am so glad? She said. So glad to look at you. Why I like you so much today. Well... I asked, and my heart began throbbing. I like you because you have not fallen in love with me. You know that some men in your place would have been pestering and worrying me, would have been sighing and miserable, while you are so nice. Then she wrung my hand so hard that I almost cried out. She laughed. Goodness, what a friend you are. She began gravely a minute later. God sent you to me. What would have happened to me if you had not been with me now? How disinterested you are. How truly you care for me. When I am married, we will be great friends, more than brother and sister. I shall care almost as I do for him. I felt horribly sad at that moment, yet something like laughter was staring in my song. You are very much upset, I said. You are frightened. You think he won't come. Oh dear, she answered. If I were less happy, I believe I should cry at your lack of faith, at your reproaches. However... You have made me think, and have given me a lot to think about. But I shall think later, and now I will own that you are right. Yes, I am somehow not myself. I'm all suspense and feel everything as if it were too lightly. But hush, that's enough about feelings. At that moment, we heard footsteps. And in the darkness, we saw a figure coming towards us. We both started. She almost cried out. I dropped her hand and made a movement as though to walk away. But we were mistaken. It was not he. What are you afraid of? Why did you let go of my hand? She said, giving it to me again. Come, what is it? We will meet him together. I want him to see how fond we are of each other. How fond we are of each other, I said. Oh, Nastanka, Nastanka, I thought. How much you have told me in that saying. Such fondness at certain moments makes the heart cold and the soul heavy. Your hand is cold. Mine burns like fire. How blind you are, Nastenka! How unbearable a happy person is sometimes. But so I could not be angry with you. At last, my heart was too full. Listen, Nastenka, I said. Do you know how it has been with me all day? Why? How? How? Tell me quickly. Why have you said nothing more this time? To begin with, Nastanga, when I had carried out all your commissions, given the letter, gone to see your good friends, then, then I went home and went to bed. Is that all? She interrupted, laughing. Yes, almost all, I answered, restraining myself. Foolish tears were already starting into my eyes. I woke an hour before our appointment, and yet, as it were, I had not been asleep. I don't know what happened to me. I came to tell you all about it, feeling as though time were standing still, feeling as though one sensation, one feeling must remain with me from that time forever feeling as though one minute must go on for all eternity, as though all life had come to a standstill for me. When I woke up, it seemed as though some musical motive long familiar, heard somewhere in the past, forgotten, voluptuously sweet, had come back to me now. It seemed to me that it had been clamouring at my heart all my life And only now. Oh, my goodness. My goodness. Nastenka interrupted. What does all that mean? I don't understand a word. Nastenka, I wanted somehow to convey to you that a strange impression. I began in a plaintive voice, in which there lay still hid a hope, though a very faint one. Leave off. Hush, she said, and in one instant she had guessed. Suddenly she became extraordinarily talkative, gay, mischievous. She took my arm, laughed, wanted me to laugh too, and every confused word I uttered evoked from her prolonged ringing laughter. I began to feel angry, She had suddenly begun flirting. Do you know, she began, I feel a little vexed that you are not in love with me. There is no understanding human nature, but all the same, Mr. Unapproachable, you cannot blame me for being so simple. I tell you everything, everything, whatever foolish thought comes into my head, listen, That's eleven, I believe, I said. The slow chime of a bell rang out from a distant tower. She suddenly stopped, left off laughing and began to count. Yes, it's eleven, she said at last in a timid, uncertain voice. I regretted at once that I had frightened her, making her count the strokes, and I cursed myself for my spiteful impulse. I felt sorry for her, and did not know how to atone for what I had done. I began comforting her, seeking for reasons for his not coming, advancing various arguments, proofs. No one could have been easier to deceive than she was at that moment, and indeed anyone at such a moment listens gladly to any consolation whatever it may be, and is overjoyed if a shadow of excuse can be found. And indeed, it's an absurd thing. I began warming to my task and admiring the extraordinary clearness of my argument. Why he could have not come? You have muddled and confused me, Nastenko, so that I too have lost count of the time. Only think, he can scarcely have received the letter, Suppose he is not able to come. Suppose he is going to answer the letter. Could not come before tomorrow. I will go for it as soon as it's light tomorrow and let you know at once. Consider there are thousands of possibilities. Perhaps he was not at home when the letter came, and may not have read it even now. Anything may happen, you know? Yes. Yes, said Nastanka. I did not think of that. Of course, anything may happen. She went on in a tone that offered no opposition, though some other faraway thought could be heard, like a vexatious discord in it. I tell you what you must do, she said. You go as early as possible tomorrow morning, and if you get anything, let me know at once. You know where I live, don't you? she began repeating her address to me. Then she suddenly became so tender, so solicitous with me. She seemed to listen attentively to what I told her. When I asked her some question, she was silent, was confused, and turned her head away. I looked into her eyes. Yes, she was crying. How can you? How can you? What a baby you are. What childishness. Come, come. She tried to smile, to calm herself, but her chin was quivering and her bosom was still heaving. I was thinking about you, she said after a minute's silence. You are so kind that I should be stone if I did not feel it. Do you know what has occurred to me now? I was comparing you two. Why isn't he you? Why isn't he like you? He's not as good as you, though I love him more than you. I made no answer. She seemed to expect me to say something. Of course, It may be that I don't understand him fully yet. You know, I always was, as it were, afraid of him. He was always so grave, as it were, so proud. Of course I know it's only that he seems like that. I know there is more tenderness in his heart than in mine. I remember how he looked at me when I went into him. Do you remember, with my bundle but yet I respected him too much. And doesn't that show that we are not equals? No, Nastenka, no, I answered. Shows that you love him more than anything in the world, and far more than yourself. Yes, supposing that is so, answered Nastenka naively. But do you know what strikes me now? Only I am not talking about him now, but speaking generally. All this came into my mind some time ago. Tell me, how is it that we can't all be like brothers together? Why is it that even the best of men always seems to hide something from other people and to keep something back? Why not say straight out what is in one's heart? When one knows that one is not speaking idly, as it is, everyone seems harsher than he really is, as though all were afraid of doing injustice to their feelings by being too quick to express them. Nastenka, what you say is true, but there are many reasons for that. I broke in, suppressing my own feelings at that moment more than ever. No. No. She answered with deep feeling. Here you, for instance, are not like other people. I really don't know how to tell you what I feel, but it seems to me that you, for instance, at the present moment, it seems to me that you are sacrificing something for me. She added timidly with a fleeting glance at me. Forgive me for saying so. I'm a simple girl, you know. I've seen very little of life. And really, sometimes I don't know how to say things. She added in a voice that quivered with some hidden feeling while she tried to smile. But I only wanted to tell you that I'm grateful. That I feel it all too. Oh, may God give you happiness for it. What you told me about your dreamer is quite untrue now. That is, I mean, it's not true of you. You are recovering. You are quite a different man from what you described. If you ever fall in love with someone, God give you happiness with her. I won't wish anything for her, for she will be happy with you. I know. I am a woman myself. So you must believe me when I tell you so. She ceased speaking and pressed my hand warmly. I too could not speak without emotion. Some minutes passed. Yes, it's clear he won't come tonight, she said at last, raising her head. It's late. He will come tomorrow, I said in the most firm and convincing tone. Yes, she added, with no sign of her former depression. I see for myself now that he could not come till tomorrow. Well, goodbye, till tomorrow. If it rains, perhaps I shall not come, but the day after tomorrow I shall come. I shall come for certain, whatever happens, be sure to be here. I want to see you, I will tell you everything. And then, when we parted, she gave me her hand and said, looking candidly at me, We shall always be together, shall we? Oh, Nastenka. Nastenka, if only you knew how lonely I am now. As soon as it struck nine o'clock, I could not stay indoors, but put on my things and went out in spite of the weather. I was there, sitting on our seat. I went to her street, but I felt ashamed and turned back without looking at their windows when I was two steps from her door. I went home more depressed than I had ever been before. What a damp, dreary day. If it had been fine, I should have walked about all night. But tomorrow, Tomorrow. Tomorrow she will tell me everything. The letter has not come today, however, but that was to be expected. They are together by now.